Welcome. I'm Porik Sheeran, Head of SME at Three here in Ireland, and this is the latest in our series of I and Irish Industry podcasts, where I talk one-on-one with customers and experts about the challenges facing Irish businesses today and discuss ways of solving them. I'm delighted to be joined this time by Jackie Fox, who is the Managing Director of the Security Practice at Accenture Ireland. Jackie has more than 20 years' experience in the industry, and in addition to her work at Accenture, she lectures on cybersecurity at UCD, she regularly presents at conferences about the subject, and she's vice chair on the board of Cyber Ireland. That's a collaboration between government, industry, and academia to build up the cybersecurity industry in Ireland. So, Jackie, thank you very much for joining me. Delighted to be here. Thank you very much, Parg. So, I'm going to do my own bit of fishing today, Jackie. I'm going to hack into your experience. And that's the last of my awful puns, I promise. Very droll. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that? Yes, I like that. Cybersecurity, it's a topic that's getting, I suppose, a lot of headlines lately. We see here, read the stories of various global and well-known brands, you know, having various data breaches um, of different quantities and types. But how real is it um, from an Irish perspective? How real is, is cybersecurity an issue in Ireland? I think it really is an issue. And I think people, maybe the man on the street doesn't realise how much of an issue it is. Um, Often people can be um, the object or the subject of a cybercrime without even realising that Mm -hmm. that, that they've been subjected to something. A lot of it stems to what what do you have that maybe a cybercriminal might be interested in? And, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a person, we have lots of personal information uh, which can be sold. Um, also, any access or movement of money that's happening is usually of interest to a cybercriminal. Mm-hmm. And then you've also got, you know, people who will try to embarrass you or, you know, deface information that you've put up, you know. So I think there are lots of motivations why people can be the targets of cybercrime in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. And it's very real. And if we think of some of the terminology, you know, people will hear different words like phishing, malware, ransomware. Can we maybe describe just in in, in as simple terms as we can what they actually are? So phishing, for example, how would you describe that? Phishing is when it's it's what we call a branch of social engineering, where you're trying to engineer something out of a person by appearing to be something that you're not. So phishing typically takes the form of sending somebody an email or maybe a text, which purports to be somebody else. So, you know, it might be something pretending to be your boss and saying, hey, you know, would you mind transferring that top secret document that you've been working on mm-hmm. to me on my Gmail address so that I can work on it at home. Um, and it's quite easy to send a phishing email making it look as if it's coming from your boss so that when you look up at the from the sender appears to be your boss, but mm-hmm. actually underneath it, it isn't at all. Mm-hmm. So people will use phishing to do things like redivert funds, but they also use it to install what we term as malware, which is software which has bad intention, malintention mm-hmm. onto your system. And that could be to spy on you, or it could be to try and maybe steal your credentials for your bank account so that they could try and log into your bank account without you knowing, or um, just generally cause bad things to happen to you. So um, malware is usually some kind of software that goes onto your system and it usually will try to last on your system even after you've switched it on and off. So that would be one of the goals of malware. When it's in there, it's typically in there until you get it back out again. Right, okay. Any others like DDoS, for example, is one I've I've heard or come across? Yeah, DDoS is um, a distributed denial of service. What denial of service means is that uh, usually if you set up maybe a web 
web service uh, to somebody and you're, you know, you might be selling jumpers or tickets to people or just advertising what your organisation or company does. Um, and what a denial of service does is it, it basically floods your server with lots of false or bad requests or maybe asks it to do a whole load of bad things mm-hmm. um, so that it can't serve what it's meant to be doing selling jumpers or tickets or whatever it is you wanted to do. And the 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 second D, the distributed denial of service, um, if you just get one person to keep, you know, asking you all the time, you know, what time is it? What time is it? What time is it? That's probably not going to have such a bad effect because the server will be set up so that multiple people can actually talk to it at the same time. Mm-hmm. But if you overwhelm it with a distributed uh, attack where there's many thousands of servers or people or individual looking for your service, what happens is that the good requests of normal business get completely lost in the overwhelming requests of the bad requests coming through. Mm-hmm. And actually, we see a lot of that in the Irish marketplace today. Um, often you'll get these little test pieces coming out to, to people. And and what we do see a lot of as well is people would say, why would I ever be subject to a denial of service? Who would be interested in my website mm. or my services? But sometimes when you're a third party to a very important organisation, they might hit you trying to get into the other important organisation that your organisation mm. is serving. Mm-hmm. So um, people shouldn't presume that they would not be subject to uh, distributed denial of service or plain old denial of service. So why does cybercrime even exist? Who who ultimately benefits? Um, there are lots of different actors who could um, benefit from cybercrime. Um, it could be a nation state. Uh, it could be a plain old criminal. Um, it could be somebody trying to steal your intellectual property. But usually money is the, the root, usually, or theft of data. Data is very valuable, particularly identity data. Um, so it depends on the actor um, and what they want from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're typically the reasons. And we see two types of cybercrime. One is cyber-enabled and the other is cyber-dependent. Cyber-enabled uh, crime is crime that would happen normally, but is being done through uh, remote methods. So it's enabling that type of crime, whereas cyber-dependent crime is a crime that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for cyber, the cyber world. So, for example, the one you mentioned earlier, denial of service, mm-hmm. that's not going to exist in the normal world, whereas somebody stealing money uh happens anyway and they just happen to be using a cyber method in order to commit that crime. It's a lot easier now and a lot less risky for a criminal to try and steal your money remotely from another country than it is to try and physically go into a bank and rob that bank. So it's a lot less risky for the cyber criminal to to commit crime online. And is it always malicious in origin? Are there such things as naturally occurring issues now just because technology is ever evolving and maybe things aren't keeping up or is there always something malicious at its heart? There usually is but sometimes things can happen inadvertently to people like somebody can put bugs into a code Mm. or you know they may inadvertently pass on the crime of somebody else so usually if you have a you know a really nice application it'll be made up of lots of components some of which you may have crafted Mm -hmm. and some of which you may have bought off the shelf somewhere and um, sometimes you can inadvertently uh, include malware into something without realising it. And then you also have the, the innocent person who receives the like of a phishing email and clicks on something and brings malware into their organisation. So there was bad intent behind it, but you can often have people involved in the process who had no idea that they were part of that crime. And in your view, are some companies or industry sectors or even territories more attractive to cyber criminals than others? So if I'm a small Irish business, do I almost think I'm kind of uh, 
I'm safe here, like they're after the bigger guys? Um, it really depends on what you do and how many companies you connect with. Um, so if you're a small company, but you have like a, an amazing design for some fabulous new product, you know, so highly valuable intellectual property, it is likely that someone will know that you have it mm-hmm. um, and they may go after it. And also, as I mentioned earlier, if you're the third party in a chain, like you may be providing window cleaning services to somebody and you'd say, why would somebody be interested in us? Mm. But uh, you may be providing those services to a sensitive organisation or you also have money, you know, that's coming in and out of your organisation. So there are things that are attractive about every organisation and it's just, you know, you can be unfortunate and get onto somebody's radar. Um, I've seen instances where an organisation uh, might win a really great contract and they'd put it out in the newspaper and say, hey, we've won this really nice new piece of business. We're bringing jobs to the community and these are the people that we're going to be working with and a cyber criminal will look at that and say oh there's an opportunity now probably once a month there's going to be an invoice going in there money transferred out perhaps I could try and redirect that money to me instead of them and they can craft up a campaign as to how to get into your organisation and some of these groups particularly somebody who's local, actually, who, you know, has the opportunity to look at local information, they can get quite clever about what they do. Like they would look at, well, who might be able to influence money and movement of money within that Mm organisation. And they'd look up their Facebook account and they'd look up what they do on LinkedIn. And they'd they'd basically do a a recce and work out, you know, what are the weak points in this organisation? How could I get in? How can I get somebody to trust me? When are people going on holidays? You know, when are they going to be rushing, trying to do things? And when can I hit them? So people can be quite targeted and orchestrated in the types of attacks they do Mm -hmm. if they think they're going to make money. And they they don't care whether you're a multinational organisation or a small local organisation if they think they can get something from you. Yeah, because that's an interesting question. Like, what, what form does a cyber attack normally take if there's such a thing as, as normally? Like, what am I watching out for as a small business? Um, I think as a small business, probably one of the things that I would have investigated most for small businesses in Ireland when they get hit by business email compromise. Um, And that's when somebody sends in a targeted phishing email with the objective of getting you to send them something. And that could be money or it could be information typically or credentials to allow you to do something else and get into the bank account. And again, usually this is a spoofed email. It's, you know, it's, you know, your boss saying, oh, quickly, please do this. Or it could be somebody saying, um, hi, I'm from Organisation X. We've recently updated our bank account details. Please, could you make sure that you update these in your system before our next monthly payment? And they're quite sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a stupid person who accidentally falls for one of these scams. Like, it's they're very well crafted. They'll typically have company logos on it and things that make it look very legitimate to you. So it's very easy for somebody to follow the instructions or click on the links and do what it's been suggested. They'll always have things that will psychologically pull it to you, you know, say there's an urgency about this. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain things that you can look out for. Um, but but uh, it's important that companies recognise these sort of things that when they come in and also put other controls in place that they might be manual controls saying if someone tells you to change the account number for payment, um, ring back that company on a number that you already know you have. Mm-hmm. Don't look at the number at the bottom of the email and ring their accounts department and say, is this correct? Like, go with information you know, speak to a person you know in that company and say, is this correct? Should I do this? And that will put additional controls in place that may not be technological controls. They could be process controls, will really help companies to protect themselves. So obviously, it's definitely a case where prevention is much better than 
than cure. Yes. If there were three, four or five actions you think a small business could take, what sort of things would you would you be advising? Okay, well, there are some really good things set up in Ireland to help and advise companies on what they should do. Like a larger organisation would typically have, you know, internal people who work in cybersecurity and they would have the access to external consultants. But um, there are things there for smaller companies like our National Cybersecurity Centre, the NCSC, which is part of the Department of Communications, has a 12 step guide as to what you should do to try and secure your organisation. It's in plain English and it's easy to follow. And I would definitely recommend that people should look at that. You'd also find resources like Cyber Ireland have very good resources and are building that up all the time about educating people on how can you upskill in cybersecurity. And it's not for technologists or, you know, it's for normal business people Mm -hmm. who need to protect their organisation. And they link in with organisations like Skillnet, um, who provide some free training courses, but also some other, you know, inexpensive, very cost effective courses where people can train up individuals in their organisation as to what they should do. Um, But I think some of the the, the basics that people need to look at, um, they need to look at maybe their governance, you know, um, they need to understand the assets that they have in their organisation and what's valuable to them and what they would care about if something was lost. And Mm -hmm. that means looking at something and saying, well, is this public? Would I care if that got into the public domain or would it really bother me if I lost that? And then they can put protections and controls in place to to protect those things in accordance with the value to their organisation. So um, the other thing I would probably say quite strongly is awareness training. Um, Mm making your staff aware of how to recognise a phishing email or also if if they've been, you know, kind of um, the victim of a phishing email, what are the next steps that they should take? Because, you know, you should presume that you will or have been attacked at some stage. Mm-hmm. Um, smaller organisations are often hitting these things for the first time and uh, they don't know what to do. So having a plan in place to be resilient if you do get hit with something is really good. Um, what What sort of steps should a company take? God forbid they are subject to an attack you know what are, what's the what's the best course of action well it really depends on the nature of what's happened to them um, and also the size of the organization so let's say the example we were talking about earlier where someone has said you know please send the money to a new account and you realize you know 10 days after you think you'd paid organization x they pick up the phone to you and they say that money never arrived. You told me it was going to come. Mm-hmm. Where is it? And you go, no, no, we sent it. And suddenly you realise you've been scammed. Mm-hmm. So in a situation like that, you should absolutely get onto the guards and inform the guards of the situation. Your insurance company, um, most organisations will have some kind of technology support. So getting onto their IT support people. Mm-hmm. Um, if a crime has been committed, the guards will help them investigate it. If they're not sure whether a crime has been committed or not, if maybe some, they think maybe somebody inside has done something, or they're not really sure, you can get private forensic investigators who will help you. Um, But I think it's important to have those steps laid out in advance so that you're not running around after you've been hit by something saying, what do we do now? How do we handle this? Mm -hmm. It's important to have a plan in place beforehand. You mentioned employees and training being an important aspect because ultimately this probably does come back to people, whether you're administrator or data controller or even an end user in in a small business. But are there other things companies can do to help their employees just either be more aware or more more vigilant? Yeah, I think there's lots of things that they can do. Um, like um, putting them on training courses that are meaningful and real and not asking people to sit through these one hour, you know, how fast can I click through this, you know, and making 
examples real for them. Um, like it would always be recommended, for example, that people have strong passwords. Mm-hmm. Saying that to somebody, what do you mean a strong password? And somebody else might say, well, that means having capital letters and lowercase letters and special characters and things in it. And actually the advice has changed a lot on that recently. Um, it's now believed that you shouldn't have all these things, that you should have um, maybe what we call a passphrase in place, which is long. Actually, the length of the password you use is generally what protects you rather than the intricacy of it. And also people will often be advised to change their password every three months. Again, best practice thinking has changed a lot on that because what tends to happen is people set up passwords like summer one exclamation mark and then in the autumn they go autumn one exclamation mark and these are really easily guessable passwords. There's a lot of passwords that are out in the public domain where they've been breached and published and you know, people reuse passwords from one site to another site. So like having the same password on your work systems as on your bank account, as on your Facebook account. And that's not a good idea because if one gets breached, then the others could all be breached. And so there's some basic advice trying to make that real for people um, in a training session that can be really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Other things um, about training people like how to handle data so that they recognise what's the difference between sensitive data and what's not sensitive and what's regulatory what the regulatory obligations are. Um, Like recently, there's been a lot of talk about uh, GDPR and about personal data. So I think, you know, in Ireland, you'd want to have been hiding under a stone not to know that, you know, you've got to protect personal data. But at the end of the day, people don't always recognise what personal data is. And even when they do, they mightn't handle it properly. So they might send it to somebody on a Gmail account um, or, an, you know, an open kind of account rather than a corporate to corporate account. Mm-hmm. Or they, they may not just think of encrypting it or they may store it in open text when they could could do a lot more things to protect it. So even teaching people to say, look, you know, here's how you evaluate how critical that data is to our organisation or to the individual that that data is about. And these are the types of controls that we as an organisation are giving you that you can choose to use and, you know, make people think about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there, there are ways that kind of uh, can really help. And I think organisations can also protect themselves very well by... Um, making sure that they've got good backups in place. And if they do get hit by ransomware, what do, what do they do? Or, you know, the day to think about what do I do about ransomware is not the day after you've been hit by it. It's mm-hmm. a month beforehand or, you know, months beforehand to say, what would we do if all our data was kind of taken by somebody and wiped out and encrypted and we didn't have access to it here? Where would it be and could we still get access to it? And think teaching people about things like that that are not complex topics, but very worthwhile for people to understand, to help them to think for themselves, specifically to their organisation. Mm-hmm. And with so much of the technology that organisations use now having moved to the cloud, has that made a difference in terms of how much more easy or difficult it is to actually protect and secure data or even know where it is? Yes. Um, like in a lot of ways for a small organisation, going to the cloud is quite a good thing because the likelihood is, is that their cloud service provider will have a lot better security controls in place and have them well thought out than they would ever be likely to have have mm-hmm. themselves. Um, and I suppose I, I often think of the you know, plane dropping out of the sky analogy. We all fly all the time, 
But when a plane drops out of the sky, it's fairly catastrophic. And I would think it's the same in relation to cloud providers. You know, in general, it's great. Um, but if something catastrophic happens, it's quite broad and it tends to hit a lot of people. So um, it's about the frequency of the risk hitting you as opposed to the size of the risk. I think this you know, it, it is generally better for small organisations to hold data in the cloud. There are some things that they need to look out for. Um, we obviously have regulatory obligations in Ireland for keeping information within the uh, EU mm -hmm. or making sure there are proper controls in place if it moves outside the EU. And you need to make sure that your cloud provider is on board with that, you know, that they understand you want your data geofenced in the EU. Mm -hmm. the, uh, so that's an important point in relation to cloud. So... For business owners who are wearing multiple hats, balancing various priorities, what would be your, your key message? If you had a parting message from today's conversation, what would it be for them? I would say um, spend some time to understand the value of the assets you have in your organisation, be that money or be it the data or be it the intellectual property. I would say train your people in the organisation to understand and appreciate that value and put some kind of security controls over those assets, which are, you know, kind of in line with what you view the risk is to them. So look at your assets, understand the risks and apply controls accordingly to them. So on that note, just like to thank you, Jackie, for your time and the great conversation today to thank all our listeners. And just to remind everyone that the resources referred to in our conversation today will be available at Three's Business Learning Centre, connected.three.ie. So until the next in our series of I and Irish Industry podcasts, I just hope that you and your businesses stay safe. <laughs>